Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Casey Kiernan sitting in for Danny Cannell, who is in Atlanta, Georgia for Super Bowl 53. Yeah. Raja Bell, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I got my flights out this afternoon. I was going to so say, yeah. why aren't you in Atlanta? Yeah, because somebody had to hold it down today. I mean, like, really? we're here, right? That's right. And we will toss it out to Atlanta in a bit, but we have to break down the big breaking news in the NBA this morning. Your reaction to hearing that Anthony Davis will not sign an extension with the Pelicans has requested a trade. Um, Like, okay. I mean, you, everyone should have known this. You should have seen this coming, right? Like, I, the timing is interesting. Like, I would wonder kind of what went into – uh, them deciding to, to get this out here now. My gut is that you're going into all-star break. There are going to be a lot of people around. It's a good time to have, you know, some of these conversations that players have amongst themselves for him to kind of, you know, put his toe in the water, so to speak, and see what the climate is in some of these potential, like, suitors of his in free, in, uh, in the trade market. The, the other thing I do appreciate though is, is, is what his camp came out and said, what Rich Paul in the, came out and said in terms of him wanting to give New Orleans the best chance that they could have, uh, to get the best deal that they could get for him. So he didn't want to hamstring them by doing this late in the process. Right. And so I wonder if they're trying to get this done by this February 7th trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, or the next one, because he's a free agent in the summer of 2020. Yeah. You, what you, I mean, if you get a deal done when you can get it done, the best deal you could potentially yes. get. I would imagine that it's a little late in the game to swing it before this February deal, unless someone is just going to come out. Except I think what you said earlier was correct. We've all seen the tea leaves. You should, so people probably they're have prepared. packages yes, ready they're prepared. to go. So they, this, have, they have files. This they, could so go down. Pull it out. Here you go. Uh, and I'm just thinking they, they shifted All-Star a little bit, right? Because yeah. remember when Boogie Cousins got traded from the Kings? To the Pelicans, yeah. and he was told in his ear in front of the media that he was traded. Right? How crazy was that? Yeah, that was nuts. But they've they've switched around a little bit at All Star. Yeah, and look, I mean, Anthony Davis is a fantastic player. He's statistically having his best season, like pretty much across the boards in terms of points, assists, you know, rebounds, all of that. Um, he's in his seventh year as a pro. They've been to the playoffs twice there while he was in New Orleans. Once I think they got out of the first round last year. Um, it's enough of a sample size for him. Like, I heard a lot of people this morning saying this is what's wrong with the NBA. Like, you know, he needs to be able to stay in New Orleans. They did it the right way. He did. He already signed an extension. He did. He- so so the point is, and this is similar with LeBron James, when he was in Cleveland, he left for Miami. I'll take LeBron as an example, and it applies to AD. If you get drafted by this team, you're there for four years, and you sign another extension, right? And so you had that plus the extension. Seven years to build around him, and you can't get it done. That is a you problem. That's on you. Correct. That's not on the player. Correct. And, and what I would say to that is I actually, uh, again, would applaud a guy coming out and saying, look, move me now. You're giving that team every opportunity to go out and, and recoup assets. Paul George did this. It's why they have Victor Oladipo. Yeah, but I think it's pretty interesting the way, like, the media at times, like, I feel like some media is, like, anti. I feel like you're either NFL or NBA, right? And if you're NFL, you're skewed towards the NFL and you're, like, anti-NBA to some, some of the stuff I hear, yeah. right? So why is a player painted in a bad light when he says, look, trade me? I don't want to be here anymore. Right. He's giving you the opportunity, again, to recoup assets in, in his loss. The other scenario would be I've given you eight years, which is more than enough, right? And now I'm walking and you get nothing. Yeah. He's actually trying to help you to some degree. It's people who resent free agency for some reason. Yeah. 
And those people who say that, guess what? Too bad because that's the way that's it the is. That's the way it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm trying to look up this tweet that I saw because obviously you think who could trade for Anthony Davis, right. right? And there are many, many teams who could do it, and I can't find the darn tweet, but that's – that's uh, this about Here the, it is. Yep. Boom. Hearing from sources, this is Brad Turner who works for – uh, I don't know because he doesn't say that's your bad, Turner. Uh, hearing from sources, if Lakers want Anthony Davis, the request has to begin with Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Ivat Zubats, and a number one pick. What's your reaction to that haul for AD? Sure, I mean that's a that's a haul. Um, ultimately, I'm saying Kuzma. Ball, you want to retain Kuzma, like Zubats. You would probably give up Ball, Kuzma. I mean Ball, Zubats, and a number one. And then it centers around like whether Kuzma is the third person in that deal or not, right? Like the the framework of the deal seems okay. Now we got to kind of tweak it. And if you're the Pelicans, yes, I want Kuzma. I want everything that I want. Everything on your in your shopping cart that I want, give it to me. Yeah. But the problem is, is like deals don't work like that. Like there, you know what I mean? There's some negotiation that goes into that. And at the end of the day, you got to move. You got to move Anthony Davis. And there are not that many teams out there that are full of assets that are going to be able to swing for Anthony Davis. And the flip side of that is. Even if they do have the assets, there are not a lot of places where Anthony Davis is going to give them a commitment that he's going to want to stay. And that's the other part of it. Right. Right? So the Lakers do have some leverage in this situation. Boston can't make a move for him until, you know, after July because of the Kyrie deal. So they have some time to try to figure out what those pieces look like. Framework seems okay. I'm not trying to give up Kyle Kuzma if I'm the Lakers. I think they should give up Kyle Kuzma. They should give up Ball. They should give up everyone. Sure. From what I've seen in my experience just watching the NBA and watching it from afar, is that even four B players do not equal an A plus. Correct. And I think what they've seen in this this time, this beginning of the season, including like a Brandon Ingram, they weren't willing to move him and put all the eggs in the basket to get Kawhi Leonard. And now a few months in, I bet they're like, well, shoot, I, done we, we should have done it. You know, and, and you don't want, if I'm the Lakers, I don't want to be bit by that again, saying we should have done it and then have the Boston Celtics get Swoop in. Swoop in and, yeah. Exactly. No, I hear you, but again, you have time here, right? Like you have some time, uh, well, not that much, but you have, you have, you have the first swing at it. And so again, Kuzma, if it winds up having to be Kuzma, do the Lakers probably swing that deal? I would imagine that's not going to be a deal breaker for them if they get stuck on that, right? And they can yeah. get Anthony Davis. But if I'm the Lakers, I'm not putting him in the first, the first rendition of this deal, right? Like I, I, and here's why Brandon Ingram is a ball stopping type of player. He's good enough on bad teams to get a bunch of points, but his style, if you put him with two A pluses, is one that is going to require the ball. He's not good enough to have the ball in his hands when you have Anthony Davis and, and LeBron James. Right. Bad team, not a whole lot of guys around him. Give him the ball. Let him go crazy. Mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma's the type of dude that'll spot shoot. Like, he'll catch and shoot. Right. You know, those are the type of pieces that you're going to have to put around three and D guys when you have an Anthony Davis and you have a LeBron James. Guys who are going to monopolize that ball, get buckets, and assist. So you're looking at Kyle Kuzma not as just a pure talent necessarily, but as a piece that would fit going forward. Do you know what I mean? So you're not looking at him so you're much whether he's Kyle an A Kuzma. or a B. Oh, I see what you I'm looking at Kyle Kuzma as as a piece that's going to fit when I get yeah. Anthony Davis into what I'm trying to build, not just because he's better, let's say, than like a Brandon Ingram or someone like that. So AD plus LeBron plus Rondo. Yeah. Do you think that's enough for them to challenge the Warriors in the in the playoffs? Yeah. Okay. I, I do. Look, and look, you throw I mean, you LeBron. don't need more time to cook the chemistry no. and all that? I don't know. You put LeBron with... Look, he was challenging with Kyrie and, 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 and Kevin Love. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah, sure, Rondo's not Kyrie, but Anthony Davis is a whole lot better than, wow. than Kevin Love, right? And so you put LeBron with a whole lot of stuff provided he's healthy. And I give them a chance against anybody. That's just me personally. Now, yes, there's some chemistry that has to work itself out. You're going to have to supplement around those edges with some shooting and some guys that can defend. And at the end of the day, it might not be this year. They could push, though. You know, they'll be a viable entity in the playoffs. And then by next year, depending on what happens with Golden State and some of that free agency, you now can attract another star potentially. You'll have the money to sign him in free agency. Now you got something cooking. And that other star would be maybe Kawhi Leonard, although we've heard that Kawhi would prefer to go to the Clippers. Yeah, Kawhi. And the Clippers have enough room for two max guys. And yeah. so, you know, obviously you think KD and Kawhi in L.A. with the Clippers. That would, that would just be insane. We're sure. going down the rabbit hole. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> with AD, are we sort of thinking that it's a, a, a Celtics-Lakers two-horse race there? Is there anyone else in your mind that should be in Listen, I said it this morning. Everybody kind of thought I was crazy. I would not count out the Oklahoma City Thunder just purely in a vacuum. I don't know. I haven't looked at, and this is probably my job, and I'm not doing it well this morning. <laughs> I haven't looked at their assets. I don't know what they can give up to get Paul George. But I would imagine just knowing Sam AD, Presti. To get AD. I mean, AD, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, uh, like behind the scenes with Sam Presti. If people think that Russell Westbrook was salty about the way the KD went down, thing went down, like multiply that by five, and that's probably how Sam Presti in that front office felt. So if there's a grudge and a, and a, a need to beat Golden State, yeah. like they have one. They haven't been public about it, They're but motivated. they do. Now you've got, you know, Paul George is playing fantastic. Like Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. Yeah. You would be putting packages together and anything else on that roster, Steven Adams, anything else. Jeremy Grant's been great. Jeremy Grant's been great. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder, like first round, anything you have, right. you would be taking a swing. I don't know if it gets it done. But they're a team I would not count them out because Sam always pops up in a deal that you don't expect his nose to pop up in. Always. He's always who, there. Who thought that they would have PG, Russ, and Carmelo Anthony, even though it didn't work out? I mean, yes. no one thought after they lost Kevin Durant. Correct. And the fact that they re-signed Paul George said a lot. Said a lot. No one would have bet that. He said he wanted to be in L.A. So that front office is smart. The thing that popped into my mind, would he want to live and stay in Oklahoma City? From what I've been hearing from Anthony Davis, the bottom line really is winning. Winning, yeah. So if he got there and they were able to win and challenge Golden State, I think they could retain him. I do. Um, you, you, you have now put together three pieces that actually really fit together. It's just like what Golden State has. Sometimes you put together these stars and there's a real duplication of skill yeah. sets. Like you're putting together three kind of unique skill sets that all can do certain things. I mean, it's really fascinating because, again – I don't know what they have to give up for him. But like to your point, and I said it when we were off air, that guy just pops up, Sam Presti that is, in OKC, in deals like out of nowhere. You never see him coming, and there they are sitting yeah. in the middle of the deal. You know, it's this is what makes the NBA so good. Really I'm good. sorry. Yeah. But like here we are, this breaks. We're imagining that piece on this team yeah. and that team and that It's team. Super Bowl week. It's Super Bowl yeah. week, and this is what we kick off with. And yeah. this is why the NFL would like their free agency to turn into what the NBA – in fact, every major sports league – yeah, because yeah. this is one thing the NBA has on every other major sports league. I mean, this is this is good stuff. All right, so let's talk about uh, the Warriors. An anonymous player said that Gordon Hayward on the Celtics is a liability. I mean, is that the truth? Is that a fair assessment from what you've seen so far? I wouldn't say he's a liability. They are clearly better. Do we have the numbers, guys? Can we put the numbers up there on the board? I think we have a graphic to show Gordon's numbers and the Celtics' numbers versus when he's on and off the court, right? So there you have it. Like They are statistically better in just about every category in terms of offensive rating. You've got three points better. If you know Effective field goal percentage, they're four points better. Defensive rating, they're, they're substantially better. Um, like, Wait, no, I was reading that backwards. So, yeah, no, they're... they're 
defensively, they are much better without okay, him on got the court. It. Offensively, point... it's 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 a marginal thing. Now, this is he he comes off the bench. He's playing against yeah. the second unit. So, so naturally, all this is going to be skewed. Correct. But I look, I got caught up in those numbers and I read them wrong. Here's here's what's really taking place here. Gordon Hayward, when healthy, is a fantastic NBA player. The injury that Gordon Hayward suffered was was catastrophic. It was almost career ending. He's not the Gordon Hayward that you remembered in Utah, the one that you signed 127 million for five years. He's not that guy yet. He could be that guy. So the conversation for me becomes like I don't believe that Gordon Hayward's a liability. So I'm going to put that to bed. The conversation within the Boston Celtics has to be like Gordon. Look, you're not looking like yourself yet. There's still a lot of rust on that. Mm-hmm. We're sticking with you. Like we, we've committed. Like you're a part of this going forward. We, you, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is you. This is Kyrie. This is Jason Tatum. You're here, but we, we need to use you the way we see fit using you right now for, for the betterment of, of our team and our chances to win a championship. Yeah. And I believe Gordon to be the type of pro. He's made a lot of money to be secure enough to say, okay, I got you because Gordon has to know that Gordon isn't Gordon right now. Right. He, he's, he feels that. He's not crazy. He knows that there's some rust there and he hasn't got his legs under him and maybe his confidence isn't what it was a year or so ago. But that will all come back. You know, provided, you know, you don't crush him like mentally and spiritually. You have to protect it. Yeah. Let him know that you still love him. Let him know that, you know, this is the way we got to use you right now until, until you're healthy. And then I will believe, I would believe that next year coming into the season that he'd have all his pop back. He'd have all his mojo back. Agreed. You look at Paul George, similar injury. Yeah catastrophic and now he's having his MVP type season. Correct. And not only is it several years removed from the injury, he also changed teams, had the whole year in that system with yeah. that team. Gordon Hayward had to sit on the bench, right, with that injury all year. He's making two comebacks. Yeah. Or two uh uh, uh things Debuts. He's fit. Yeah. yeah. With a new team and also from the injury. So I totally agree with you. Correct. And, and what we, you know, we haven't even talked about, which is a big topic of conversation a couple of weeks ago is all of the internal like discourse that's taken on, taken place kind of with the Boston Celtics team in terms of just this power struggle for whose ball it is and who's going to be the alpha on this team. Like you've heard Kyrie come out and he threw the younger guys under the bus. Yeah. You heard the younger guys like Jalen Brown and them come out and say, Hey, we kind of did this without Kyrie. Like Gordon's somewhere in the mix of that. Do you know what I mean? Like Gordon, it was his team in Utah. He came to Boston. I believe they signed him before they signed Kyrie, right? Like, I believe so, yeah. Right? So, like, you know, Gordon's lost in the shuffle of that. There's some real, you know, emotional emotional and uncertain, like, feeling that goes into into what's going on there to put on top of the injury and learning the new plays and learning to play with guys. He, he's got some figuring out to do there in Boston. It's a crazy day in the NBA, but it is Super Bowl week. Yep. And up next, we are going to toss it out to Atlanta. Pete, no doubt. Danny Canel. They're in Atlanta. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back. Canel and Bell hanging here at the uh, World Congress Center here in Atlanta, Georgia, man. This is my first time on air this week. You've been up since like the crack of dawn doing hits for HQ, right? What's that stunned look I'm, on your I'm face? I'm a little short for Bell, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Our boy Pete Frisco is going to hang out with us just a little bit, help us preview the game. Raj, I'll be back in a minute. we got to get to the Saints call, which I still can't believe is still a story. It's such a non-story. But uh, Saints fans are still upset about it. Roger Goodell still hasn't talked about it. But before we get to any of that, we're here, Atlanta. Your thoughts? Like, what's your what's your most excited thing about this week? Uh, game time. Yeah. Once, the ball, kicks, once the ball kicks off. I, look, this has become a monstrosity, the Super Bowl. When I, I, this is my 29th. When I started going in 1989, in, it, this is how long ago that was, by the way. 
The 49ers scored 55 points, and they were yelling, we got the speed limit in the locker room, because that's what the speed limit used to be. So, so bottom line, it's changed. It was like two, two stations on Radio Row. It was in the hotel. Really? And now look at this. I mean, it's, it gets bigger and bigger. It's out of control. You're doing media day. I keep calling it media day, but it's media night Night. now because it's in prime time for TV, obviously. I mean, as a reporter, do you even get anything done? Because I've covered it a couple times, and it's like such a no. zoo. It's like a circus out there. No, you know, once in a while, if you know a guy, you can pull him off the podium and talk to him. But no, most of the time, no. It's become, you know, for yeah. the, the shtick, <laughs> right? It's more like for Entertainment Tonight and Access Correct. Hollywood right. and some of the Little people. Little kid that were, asking yeah, a question. Yeah, right? yeah, which actually sometimes you get the best answers out of players because, because they're, they're used to coach speak. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the little kid will come up and he'll ask a question, and uh, he'll get treated a lot better than you would if you got to ask a question. The other thing, so you got uh, media night is tonight, but you also had the team send-offs. We saw the Patriots had a pep rally, which I think does speak to their fan base, which I, I grew up in Miami and Dolphins fans, South Florida fans don't like saying, you know, when you trash them as a bad fan base. But I don't think they're getting that type of send-off, the Dolphins or any other team for that matter, if they're going to a Super Bowl or World Series in or some anything. some like if Jacksonville went to a Super Bowl, they'd get that kind of send-off. They'd for the, the first thing. time. But would but they not, get it for the first time? Not for the 20th time. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the amazing thing about it. And, yeah. and, you know, people talk about Patriot fatigue. And I had a couple guys in Boston call me and ask me if there's Patriot fatigue. There's not. And you know what it's almost morphed into? Five years in, it was Patriot fatigue. Now it's Patriot respect. Right. You but they're not, them. but they're not taking it as that. And I, I think it's kind of funny that they're, we're still here. Brady obviously was chanting that yesterday at their send off. They've had that bet against us, you know, mentality. I don't know about you, but I think like I would put it at probably 50% of more of NFL analysts across the board at CBS, ESPN, Fox, you name it had picked the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl in the preseason. Like I was one of them. And I, I actually got off that. I'm kind of kicking myself for picking the Chiefs because it was in Kansas City. But I don't think they were forgotten about. Like, but yet they're using as this as their mantra in their locker room. And I guess if it were if it's been working for them, why not ride ride it? You know, one one year I was in Pittsburgh and the Patriots won the Super Bowl. I mean won the championship game in Pittsburgh. And the they're all coming in the locker room. The media stand there waiting. And they're all yelling at you. Not a one of you believed in us. Not a one of you believed in us. And I and I yell. I, I asked what Willie McGinnis. I remember when he was playing. He's one of the guys saying it. I go, who did we pick then? We picked you. What are right. you talking about? How do you not have respect? So look, you know how teams are and players are. They'll take anything and run with it. You yeah. Know? Who who? I picked the Patriots last week to beat the Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, right. Who didn't pick you? Right. No, they, but that's all they're going to hear. And that's all they're going to hear is the criticism and use it as motivation and as they can. And the by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they can't do that bet against this thing anymore. They have to stop that message. And Bra- uh, Brady's chanting, I'm st- you know, he's basically saying I'm still here because he's the only one people thought could potentially retire. He comes out and says zero chance of retiring. And I'm like, why would you? The game is as friendly as it's ever been. He knows off- his offense inside and out. It's just, why would you hang it up? He's still playing at an elite level, and he wants to go down as the GOAT. What else is he going to do? Go do his TB12 method? He has the rest of his life to do that. So I say, why wouldn't he keep playing? Yeah, the, you mentioned the game being quarterback friendly. I mean, the game is catered to the quarterback. Yeah. You know, and, and in talking to old quarterbacks like yourself, everybody says, I mean, look how easy it is. Free releases. You know, everybody plays zone, and you give these guys free releases. You stand there and carve them up. He's not going anywhere. His mind is lethal right now. You know, yeah. you, you can see it sometimes when he tries to uncork a deep ball and it's not quite there, 
But that mind's still there, and that's why he's as dangerous as he is. He can get rid of the, He knows exactly where to go with the football if he gets in trouble. And that's a result of the, the mind. Like, knowing it like the back of his hand, hey... I can, I know where Edelman's gonna be exactly. I know where, you know, my back is gonna be on the flare out. Do you think Gronk continues? Cause I think no, Gronk I think is done. You think he is done? I he's only he's 29, done. which is I, insane to think he's think done. He looks body, like he's 39. He looked like he was carrying a piano all season <laughs> on his yeah. back. I mean, no, I think he's done. I think he's, I think he's got other things he wants to do, like going to WWE and all that other stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if his, his body has taken a beating. It has. And none, really, and Miami Miracle, when he looked like he was, he could hardly get out of quicksand when he tried to make the tackle at the end of that, you know, the play at the Miami Dolphins yeah, game, which was embarrassing you know for him. You know what's amazing though, Danny, when you think about this whole run? It started against this Rams team, and the Rams were the greatest show on turf, and nobody could beat them, whatever, and they ended up beating them. And you look at through the one, every, the players of, where are the Hall of Famers on this Patriots team? I was talking with Sal Palantonio today, we were talking, and he says Ty Law needs to get in because they don't have enough, enough Patriots. <laughs> Is Ty Law a Hall of Famer? It's debatable. Right. I don't think so. Is Richard Seymour a Hall of Famer? It's debatable. Those right. are the guys. Where, where are the Hall of Famers? You can't count Randy Moss because he really only played there for the short period of time. Yeah. Where that tells you the greatness of Belichick. It tells you the greatness of Brady. It absolutely does. And I, it goes to, cause last week I picked Kansas City cause I thought Kansas City had more weapons. They absolutely had more weapons offensively and they might even have a couple more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, but it's that Brady Belichick effect, which is why I've been saying for three to four years, the safest bet in all of sports is that Brady and Belichick are going to get to the Super Bowl, even with all the distractions and all the stuff that they had. Do you think any of it was real? The Brady Belichick rift that was last year, or do you think we in the media media made a big deal? Because I think it was real. I still don't think Brady loves Belichick no. when they're out there professing love for each other, but I think they have a common goal, and they both have an intense fire that burns inside of them that they don't care about differences. They just want to think about, hey, we want to win a Super Bowl, and that's all that matters. I can relate sort of uh, a story from when I used to cover the Jaguars, Coughlin and Brunel. Brunel was just brutalized by Coughlin. I mean, he just destroyed him <laughs> nonstop. And to the point where I had a story, there was a rift between the two of them. And there was. At practice and stuff? Like just oh, chewing like he, him out? He threw an interception against Tennessee in 99 in the rain and a play that shouldn't have been called in the first place because it was raining <laughs> and all they had to do was kick a field goal and they would have tied the game. So he calls the play, throws an interception, and he reams them in the media and then reams them the next day. So I get wind of it. And so I, of course, uh, have put a story. It out there. So, but the, it, kind of the development, it evolved. He tolerated them. And after... About 10 years when Brunel went and played at other places, he came back to me and he said, you know what? Of all the guys I've ever played for, I'd go back and play for Coughlin again. And I think that's kind of the relationship with Brady and Belichick. Yeah, he doesn't like it when it's going on and he's not treating him like a king. But he respects them, and they respect each other, and I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they have that common goal that they want to win Super Bowls, and that's all that matters. Everything else you can put aside. One of the bigger storylines is... The youth of Sean McVay, 33 years old. I'm sitting there thinking, like, when I was 33, I think back, I was just out of the NFL. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, like, what my next career was going to be. It was just a mess. And I think about the presence that he holds and commands in front of that team, and I'm impressed. That being said, it is the biggest stage in the game. Belichick has all the experience. How significant do you think that age is? By the and way, how much I was does it matter? I was on my horse and buggy going <laughs> yeah, to work. Right. <laughs> no, it, it matters, but does it really? Because I, I still think, see, here's my thing. I think when you look at McVay, he's 33 years old. But I've talked to guys on his team, Andrew Whitworth being one of them, was very friendly with him. It's a weird dynamic. They're like, 
coach player, but they're friendly. Yeah. And he said, in five years, you're going to be talking about Sean McVay like Nick Saban. And I, I, it, it stunned me a bit because he played for Nick Saban at LSU and it stunned me a little bit. And I said, how? And he said, you guys don't see him. He is as disciplined a coach as he's ever been around. We see the cheery talk a lot to try and imitate John Gruden's voice and da 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 and his memory and everything else. But we don't see that side of him. But he told me stories of players who he jumps on them from and I mean, he gets on them. So I think he's got it's everybody likes to overshadow what he really is by saying he's just a, a offensive wizard, but he's much more than that. What is going on with Todd Gurley? You know, at, in Mobile, guys were saying they were wondering if he jaked it, if the moment was too big for Todd Gurley. Now, there's no nobody has definitive information on that, but he wasn't hurt, right? And he didn't look upset. Right. If I'm Todd Gurley and I'm standing on the sidelines in the championship game, the biggest game of my life, I'm angry. He looked like he could care less, right? Yeah. So for me, there's some validity to that talk. And if he, you know, curled up in the fetal position in the biggest moment, right? what's he going to do in this moment? When it's amplified by about a hundred times. Is that not a story this week, Danny? Yeah, it should be. Absolutely. And they both tried to, uh, you know, just smash the story down because Gurley admitted saying, I was sorry. Which maybe that tells you more about what you're alluding to. McVay said he just didn't give him enough opportunities. I think you'll find out early in this game because if he doesn't, I, to me, he's got to be fine. Like he's played in big games in college. I just can't imagine a guy who was, we had, we had Todd Gurley in the MVP conversation two years ago. Like he had that type of a year. I would think to me, it's got to be more injury related. And I'm hoping a lot of this is, you know, people speculating. There's a lot of speculation because he did vanish and because he wasn't there. But I think there is a tendency for a play caller when a guy is hurt that you do come a little bit too over concerned. And the minute he has a rough start that you're thinking, Oh, maybe he's still hurt. And then you stop giving him but opportunities. That was the game the week before he was yeah. supposedly hurt. <laughs> right. and he went for a hundred. <laughs> it's true. So you can, that goes out the window. I mean, it's just a, it is, much, it is peculiar. It's I, funny it's, though, too, Danny. Gurley was the one that everybody was sure would play in the big moment. And we wondered about Jared Goff in the big moment. And as it turns out, Jared Goff was big in the big moment. And Gurley was on the sideline telling everybody he was okay if his, his deep snapper won MVP. What was most impressive to me about Goff, uh, about Jared Goff, was that he started rough in that game. Because right. I was watching that thinking he is going to crater in this moment. And he didn't at all. He fought through it. And I really almost saw the moment was the fake punt. Like, and it wasn't even something he did, but it kind of just, there was a new energy on that sideline. They started giving him a little bit more play action. He got outside, had a couple easy completions. And as a quarterback, sometimes that's all it takes. It's just a couple, like, hey, a positive play here or there. And then you just kind of relax and settle down because then the rest of the game, he was phenomenal. And I, like, I think, because uh, I was concerned about Jared Goff this postseason. Started with that Bears game with four picks, and he kind of struggled. There was a there was a two week stretch there. It was ugly, and I was worried about him. Now I'm not worried about him at all. No, and, but the reason he struggled in those games was the line struggled. Yeah, I mean the line got whipped by the Eagles and they got whipped by the Bears. Well, the line has been outstanding in the postseason, and and so uh, he's not struggled. So right. they, look, everything they do is off that outside zone play. Yeah, everything. Yep. And if Gurley doesn't have the outside zone play going, then the offense might have some issues. So yeah. that, that that's something to keep an eye on. All right, we're going to have all week to get into the X's and O's. We're going to let you go get a break, get some food, a little workout maybe. Maybe. maybe yeah, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> all right. It's football season. Yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll get Raja back in here. we got to break down this Saints call because Roger Goodell still hasn't addressed it. There's conspiracy theories abounding. Yeah. We're going to break it down next on Canel and Bell. 
All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, hanging out here in Atlanta. Our boy Raja is in Fort Lauderdale, but he is boarding a plane this afternoon. How pumped are you to be here for Super Bowl week? Like, I know you're pumped. Yeah, I'm pretty fired up. I, I haven't been to Radio Row in a long time, and uh, you know I don't like crowds, though, so I, I'm trying to figure out exactly how crowded it's going to be, what I need to do to kind of stay low, but generally speaking, I'm pretty fired up. I'm just going to warn you right now, like there's actually a section behind me, there's like a little walkway right here, and that's where fans can go. And they're like, there'll be fans here by the end of the week. And it's interesting how it starts because Monday and Tuesday are kind of like sleepy and everybody's just arriving and we're getting like technical glitches figured out as we get going. But then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it like just keeps amping up the energy and like the star power of the guests that we'll start getting on and you'll start seeing on different shows because Basically, all you're getting here today are like locals. Like you'll get some Falcons and some local, you know, stars. But the week as it goes on, that's when the big hitters come in. So you're actually smart to come in tomorrow for the first show. Like this, that'll be when things start getting better. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go. So you and I, I think, differ on our uh, opinion on this call that took place in the uh, NFC Conference Championship game. I think obviously it was a bad call. I've been pretty vocal and Saints fans were not happy with me because I told them they need to just get over it. Like we stop hearing you guys cry about it. But there's been some more to the story that came out over the weekend because they've been looking for Roger Goodell to come out. Gail Benson says they have to come out and address it. Benjamin Watson says, hey, Goodell, your silence is deafening. We need an answer. I don't think they owe them any explanation. It was a bad call. And yet, here they are. The NFL comes out, and they actually fine Nikel Roby Coleman $26,000 for the illegal helmet-to-helmet hit, which should have been a flag. So essentially, the NFL is admitting there was a penalty that was missed. And yet, I still think that's enough for the NFL to do. Raja, do you think they should come out and say something more and have some sort of a formal statement addressing this? Yeah, I mean, except you're not really admitting that you did anything wrong, right? Like, you're not. You're just, you're levying the fine, but you're not really coming out and saying, like, yeah, we, we made a mistake on that, which I do think you owe the city of New Orleans, and I think you owe your fan base. Uh, when things go well, if you're going to stand up there again at the podium and, 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 and soak in all the applause and adulation, like, when things go wrong, you have to stand up there and say, look, we blew it. Now, that's not going to change anything for the Saints. They don't get to play in the Super Bowl. We're not going to replay the game under the clause that whatever it is the commissioner is allowed to do. Like, we're not doing any of that. But in that moment, the crew made a bad call, and it was the wrong call, and put it to bed, and that should be the end of it. But what do they do then? Do they start Do they start admitting every bad call? Because that's where I think Goodell is worried about. That's why I don't think you've heard anything from the NFL is because if they do that, then they're going to have to come start addressing them every game. And they're going to have to start saying, hey, well, that was a missed call. This was a missed call. I don't put any of it on Roger Goodell. I put it on the, the head of officiating, Al Riveron. He's the one that should have come out. And apparently he was the one that did call Sean Payton and said we messed up. But put out a formal statement after the game and all of this just goes away. If you just admit it right away and have the head of officiating come out and say it, then nobody's asking for Roger Goodell. That's where I think like this is kind of below Roger Goodell and his authority. Like, but by delaying it, not saying anything at all from the officials, then it's just bringing more glaring attention on Roger Goodell, which is why we're finding ourselves still eight days after still talking about it. Right, but like that's your job as the commissioner is to like if you don't want to stand up there and that's below your your office, then have whoever's office it falls to do it. Get out there in front of it. And put it out there. And to your point about like every call now, I don't think you have to come out and, 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 and make an apology for every call. I'm not even saying that you apologize for this particular call. I think that you can own the fact that it was a bad call, 
And this is different, right? This is an NFC Championship game. You're going to the Super Bowl. And so I'm not saying this is the rule. This might be the exception to the rule. I do, however, think that you should come out and address that. And to your point, and to mine, I guess, again, if it's not Roger Goodell, I'm fine with that. Then Roger Goodell needs to have the head of officials, Riveron, come out, put a statement out and say that that call was, was blown. And it is what it is. But someone, I think, needs to address it. Or it does work its way up the food chain and eventually fall at the doorstep of Roger Goodell. And he has to deal with something that, to your point, could be below his office. So now we find ourselves in this position. And you've got conspiracy theories abounding. You've got people that have, like, their Zabruder film. Zabruder film, like, from JFK, where they're showing different (laughs) angles. Was the ball tipped? Was it not tipped? And then the latest, and this one's kind of a really crazy story, which, again, I don't think has any validity. But because of the NFL silence, it's just letting everybody run rampant. Now the NFL circles, that supposedly NFL circles are concerned that four officials in that game actually live in California. I think this is such a dumb story, and I can't believe that Adam Schefter put it out there because I think it's a non-story. But it's going to get talked about. And Saints fans, trust me, Raja, I've had them call into my radio show for the past week. They believe that the, the, the NFL fixed this game because LA is launching a new stadium next year that the fix was in for the Rams. And it's so dumb because if they were going to fix the game, why did they let the Saints get the ball in overtime? Like, and what would have happened if the Saints would have run the ball three times and kicked a field goal and would have won it? Like, would it would have been a failed experiment? It just is really dumb. But I think this is the bigger problem. The NFL hasn't addressed it so it still allows these theories to just run rampant yeah this is thirstiness by the media like you're reaching now you're you're thirsty you need to like i i can like you know what i mean like look i'm not going to go that far with the conspiracy theory because there's a whole lot of things that you'd have to do to make sure that you could predict the outcome of a game and and you didn't do them like those all that that game was in the balance it could have very easily been been one if the Saints, you know, had run the ball for a first down, let's say, you know what I mean? And you don't really control that as an officiating staff. Um, what I will say though, Danny, is I don't put a lot of credence into the fact that those guys are from California and the California team won. Like, I don't get into that, but I did have a beef as a player with officials who fraternized with my opponents before the game. Uh, you know, and I, you'd see it a lot in the NBA and I, I don't know what the NFL is like. I'll ask you. You're all kind of out there on the court. It's a relatively small court. And I would see guys over there like having like tea and coffee and damn near smoking a cigar with the referee laughing and asking about kids. And I just didn't like it, you know, because I felt like I didn't have that relationship, nor did I want one with those referees. And I did feel like there was a human element when it came time to give that guy a call or me a call. I felt like that was a little conflict of interest, you know, and and I don't know what it's like in the NFL. So I don't put that kind of stock in where they're from regionally. But I do think there are personal relationships that officials develop with some guys that could bear fruit in certain situations. Absolutely. The guy they call the white hat, it's the head official in a game. I always tried to suck up to him and be like, hey, man, how's it going? And they were all like, I tried to develop that relationship so that I would get a good call. And if there was a rough in the past or they might have some sympathy on me, I tried to play to that human element. I think it's very real. But I don't – there were never guys that, you know, went out for drinks after a game. Just the NFL is not conducive to that. Like, you don't hang in the same circles. You're out of there as soon as you're the road team. You're bouncing. You're getting out of there. Like, I could see it becoming a little bit more of a conflict in the NFL – or in the NBA – where there's just more time and there's more, there's less players. So it's easier to get that kind of relationship built. So I, I wouldn't love it if I was, if it was that close. I mean, but I do think a lot of quarterbacks try to get as close as they can as the officials, uh, as they can. All right. One of our producers, I'm not sure who it was, had the fantastic idea 
of putting up both of our career experiences in Atlanta. <laughs> I played here for two years, mostly as a backup. Our team was awful. Right. So we have a graphic built up. You actually played uh, 10 games when you were here. Your record was 7-3. <laughs> and three, Very um, impressive. Winning. You had six points a game, two rebounds, 1.2 assists. Yeah, you were fine. My statistics were embarrassing. Like, yours are good. Like, you're putting yours up totally respectful. This is the bad thing. I was in Atlanta when they were 4 and 12 and 5 and 11. Anytime I came in was when we were getting blown out by like 21 or 28 points and I would just get shellacked. I sound like I'm making excuses because I am. And I will say this, at least three of those nine interceptions, at least three of them were Hail Marys, either at the end of game or end of half. So I'm just putting that out there just so you know. Um, so I, I just, I want to put that. We, we need to gloss over. Look at that. That's the, that's the story of my career is that picture where I'm getting dragged to the ground because that's the type of offensive line protection I had. <laughs> How are you supposed to throw the football if you have a guy hanging onto your arm? That's my question. You, like you can't, you can't expect a guy to go out there and have success with that, right? Yeah, no, that's tough. That's tough. You, uh, you were fighting an uphill <laughs> battle there and my, like my, my teams won in Atlanta. Those 6.4 points per game and like 26% from the three point line. <laughs> They're not the greatest. There's a lot of stuff to do in Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta's a fun place to be. Like, Atlanta was always right. one of those cities where, <laughs> like, you were going to have drinks in Atlanta. Like, when you went there, like, you were just going to, there was going to be something yeah. to get into. You could find your way to a bar. Like, there was going to be something. Uh, I'm not blaming that on my 26% for three-point line. But, like, just suffice to say, there was a lot of stuff you could get into in Atlanta. Yeah, I think we talk way too much about the LA effect or the Miami effect. The Atlanta has a sneaky effect yeah. on the road teams too. Cause no not only are there are bars and other, there are other type of, uh, nighttime establishments you can <laughs> frequent too if it's, uh, if it's you're so inclined to do so. All right. We're not going to do any of that cause we're all business this week. We are working this week. All right. Welcome back, uh, to Canel and Bell. The farmers insurance open was Tiger's first event of 2019. I thought he was respectable, Raja. Like, I thought it was exactly what I wanted to see from him. He made the cut. He finished tied for 20th his last day. Sunday, he shot a 67, so he showcased that it's still in there. I didn't think he was going to win this tournament. I was hoping he would. Like, I was rooting for him. But I thought he showcased to me that he's healthy, um, that he's ready for competitive golf. And I think he's going to be exactly where he needs to be when April rolls around. It's time for Augusta. Because I think those are the tournaments at this point in his career. Those are what he cares about the most are the majors. Yes, this was a get your feet wet, get back in the flow uh, type of event for Tiger. And from my perspective, um, I just wanted to see that everything looked solid, Danny, right? Kind of like you. I wanted to see that there weren't any hiccups in, in anything that he was doing. And there wasn't uh, for the most part. Like, yeah, you know, he didn't crush it like fairways hit. But to like he never really does. Um, his irons got better as the week went on. His putting seemed to get a little more solid as, as the week, as the weekend went on. And so, you know, that's all you were looking for for his first time out. I don't know that anyone really expected him to jump out in his first tournament and win it. You just want to see that he's continued to build on the momentum from last year and everything is still solid because as the, as the season ramps up, like if his game is solid, he, he, he will ramp up with the season itself, you know? Yeah, for sure. And Justin Rose went on to win. I thought the worst thing for the PGA was Justin Rose had a pretty comfortable lead. It just wasn't very competitive. It wasn't like must-see TV. You got to get Tiger in that leaderboard and, in in, in, you know, top 10 sort of to get that type of fan interest that he's going to command. But there's no doubt in my mind that'll happen at some point uh soon down the road, too, as he's scheduled to play a couple more times before the Masters. Um, we talked a little bit ago about Nick Collison getting his jersey retired for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and we thought, yeah. both of us thought, like, man, this guy was, like, he played his whole career. 
career there, but his numbers didn't really justify it. Now you've got Kevin Durant is planning to make the return trip to Oklahoma City just to give him a little love, just to show him support. I'm, I don't know. I guess I should be used to this by now in NBA circles when everybody's out there, everybody's friendly. I mean, it's an old teammate. I get it, but he's going to go make the time to do it out of his busy schedule. I don't know. What's, are you surprised by this? Well, uh, no, I think it speaks to like the relationship that Nick Collison had there and that the relationship that those guys had on, on the team. Like Nick was a really, really good, you know how they say sometimes, Hey man, that guy was a good pro. You know, they, they're not always talking about whether he was a, like a 20 point a night guy or whether he was a number one receiver or a featured back. Like they're talking about the type of human being he was, type of guy he was in the locker room, the regard that other players had for him, you know, whether he would sacrifice for the team and Nick Collison kind of checks all the boxes as being a good pro. His teammates loved him. And so it is a legacy type of thing for Nick Collison there with Oklahoma City. Um, he spent his whole career there and he was beloved both by fans and players. So it's not surprising that KD is going out. I actually like to see that because so many guys are asked to come out, uh, for the big names, you know, for the, for the Shaqs or the Steve Nash's or the Scottie Pippins or the what have you. Like I think it's pretty cool that Kevin Durant's making some time out of his you know, carving a little time out to go out there and, and, and honor Nick. Did we lose All Danny? Right, so I know Raja has stopped <laughs> talking because I can see his face in the screen there. But I'm going to roll us out here some, for some Super Bowl props, Raja, because we're going to break it. down this whole game. <laughs> you just respond to me. I don't know what you're saying, but I'll just get there and laugh. You just keep that smile on your face and we'll yeah. assume it. Super Bowl props. These are very important bets right now. These are my favorites that we see uh, when, the, when the Super Bowl takes place. The first one ultimately is Super Bowl coin toss. Which will land first, heads or which will it land on, heads or tails? Tails never fails has to be the mantra, right? That's the only way you can go if you're calling the coin toss out there. Tails never fails. First offensive play, play of the game, the favorite right now, is a run play, which is minus 150. The pass play is plus 120. I do think if you saw <laughs> – he's giving me our right him. I like it. Although our feed is so blurry that I can't even read it right now, and i got to get my glasses on. Um, the first offensive play of the game, will it be a run or a pass? Run is clearly the leader in the play in the clubhouse, but I think there's some value in a pass play because the Patriots are not afraid to pay, uh, pass it. And I think Jared Goff, I think Sean McVay might come out there with a little bit of uh, a play-action pass too just to kind of keep them off guards. Um, this is fun. This is awesome. I love the signs that we're getting too. Will the quarterback catch a pass? This one, insane odds. Plus 600 says yes. No says minus 1,000. But look at what we had last year. We had two attempts. We had the Philly special where Nick Foles actually caught it. And we also had the Patriots tried to run it earlier in the game and they dropped it. So I don't think it's that bad of a value play there. Lastly, when you look at will there be a missed field goal attempt, I say absolutely yes. Kickers are basket cases in the biggest stage. Zerline's milking a bad foot. He's going to miss one. Yes, take the value. Plus 110. There will be a field goal missed in this game. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. I think we'll have everything ironed out and figured out. And Rajah will be here tomorrow. Yeah, see you later, Danny.